Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. My name's Travis, and I pastor here, and uh, my wife and I planted the church with a group of, with a group of friends close to seven years ago, and many of those friends are still here. Uh, we still worship together, so thankful for that. So anyways, that's me. And uh, I, now that we know each other, I would like to ask you a question, which is, why are you here? And um, I know that we're probably here for different reasons. Um, maybe some of you are, are here this morning because you feel like you should be here. Uh, maybe some of you are here this morning for your kids. Maybe some of you are here for the worship. Um, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily know, and I don't pretend to know exactly why you're here. Um, but I, I wanted to start the sermon by just asking, why do you go to church? So I think sometimes we can get in the habit of doing something, and we never stop to ask ourselves the question, why do I do what I do? Why am I here? Why do I go to church. Of course, when we talk about church, you know that church exists in two modes. Uh, We gather and we scatter. So the church is not a place. It's a people. You are the church. And there are times where we come together and we gather as the church. And there are, we spend most of the week scattering as a church. And so when I'm talking about or asking you the question, why do you go to church? I'm talking about church gathered. Here, why are you here this morning? Because the why, the why we go to church determines how we do church. The why determines the how. And so in order to change how we do church, we have to take a step back and ask ourselves the question, why do we do church? There's like no room up here because of all your amps and chords and instruments. How am I supposed to preach with such limited space? Maybe, maybe the reason why you're here is because it's going to make your life better. Um, I don't know, what is it for you? Why do we do this? Why do we do church? Why do you come to church? Why do we go to church? Why do we gather as a church? This is a question I found myself pondering this week. So Jesus gave us a great commission that many of you have probably um, heard before. Because Jesus commanded us Uh, to go into all the world and to make disciples, teaching them to obey 
all that he commanded. It's interesting that when Jesus ascended into heaven after uh, being resurrected, that he didn't actually command us to do church. He didn't say you need to go to church. He actually said that we need to make disciples, and what we found over history is that the best way to do that is to gather together and encourage one another and spur one another on. I want to read this to you. The, then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely... I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So there is a debate in the church. And that is, um, some people believe that the reason why we gather together on Sundays is to make more disciples. And some people believe that the reason why we gather together on Sunday mornings is to make better disciples. And there's a tension between those in the more disciple camp and those in the better disciple camp. And of course, if you believe that the reason why we get together is to make more disciples, then that shapes how you do church, correct? If the reason why we do church is to reach out to people who are not yet saved and to bring them into the family of God, well, that changes how we do church together. Do you see that? And of course, if the reason why we meet together on a Sunday morning is to make better disciples, so we're not necessarily reaching out, we're not actually reaching out to the outsiders, but we're actually serving the insiders, that would change how we do church. Do you see that? Do you get the connection? We can't move on until you see that there's a connection between why we do church and how we do church. And the how is based on the what and the why. So there's a little bit of a debate going on within Christianity. And some churches think that the reason that we gather is to attract the seeker. And so their service caters to the seeker. And there are others that would say, no, that was never God's intention for the gathered church. Gathering together is about making better disciples, not more disciples. And of course, that plays out in how they do church. And so there are these two sides at war with one another, and they're actually um, calling each other names. There's a tension between the more disciple side and the better disciple side. What's interesting is that in that passage that we just read, Jesus says, go, make disciples. And then he says, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. I love that passage because Jesus doesn't just say to them, teach them everything that I commanded. He says, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. And how many of us know that we're still in that process of learning how to obey everything he commanded? We even know what he said. We're just having a hard time doing it. Simple enough in theory, but really difficult in application. Right? The commands of Jesus. 
And so those in the more disciple camp would say, yeah, let's go. Let's make more disciples. And those in the better disciple would camp, camp would say, no, let's teach them to obey everything that he commanded. So some groups spend their time trying to make more disciples. Others spend their time trying to make better disciples. Do I need, uh, that's clear. I don't need to keep saying this the whole time, right? Sorry to insult your intelligence by repeating myself over and over again. So there's more disciples and there's better disciples. The more disciple camp, like I said, it, it gathers and um, it gathers in the, ha- in the hopes of attracting non-Christians. They gather for others. And so when they get together, I would say that they go wide at the, the expense of going deep. How many know churches that go wide at the expense of going deep? You might actually be sitting in one, according to you. I don't really know. I'm, that's not a judgment. And I also know churches that go deep at the expense of going wide. Another way I would say it is this, that it's possible for us to be cohesive at the expense of being inclusive. And it's possible to be inclusive at the expense of being cohesive. This is really what's behind this more disciple, better disciple debate. And of course, we have names for each other, right? Those that are seeker-sensitive, those that are serving Christianity light, that's why their church is so big, those that are a mile wide and an inch deep. What are your judgments of seeker sensitive churches. When I say that, what comes up for you? Likewise, we have judgments about the better disciple camp, right? They're stuck, the frozen chosen. I don't know, what, what is the term that you have for this group? Unwilling, you know, rigid, a little bit of a tension that exists between these two camps. What side are you on? Do you find yourself thinking about more disciples or better disciples? I'll tell you honestly that I am completely obsessed with all the people who don't go to this church. I spend very little time thinking about you. You're welcome. <laughs> there's two, I mean, including our kids, there's 300 people here today. And I will go home and start talking about the people who weren't here. And then I'll go to lunch and I'll be eating next to people and I'll think to myself, I wonder why they don't attend church. I'm completely obsessed with the empty seats. There's like 12 of them. And I'm thinking about the people that need to be in them. I fall off the horse on the side of more disciples. Mike and Eric, who are elders here, I would say fall off the horse on the side of better disciples. 
they keep looking at me going like, you can't just continue to gather a crowd. What do you plan on doing with these people? You can't just make them come and then not do anything with them, you know? So this tension, it exists in our church, and it exists even within the leadership of this church. So it's not just out there or between different churches who have different methods or systems or styles. It exists even right in here. There are some of you, the minute you walk in, you start noticing the new people. And when someone starts dancing in the aisle, you start thinking about that new person. You're not even thinking about yourself. You're actually worried. Oh, no, I wonder what they think about all this. I wonder if they'll ever come back. That's what you're thinking about. And there are some of you that are just, you know, you want to make better disciples. And if that person wants to come, then great. If not, no big deal. We're making better disciples here. Like Mike always chimes in young. Well, if we make better disciples, then we'll make more disciples. It's kind of like a chicken and an egg conversation. (laughs) And I was like, how do you make a better disciple without making him a disciple first? (laughs) It's like chicken egg stuff, right? Where are you at in this tension? The more disciple, better disciple tension. It's a real tension inside of our church. I think some want to go wide. And potentially want to go wide at the expense of going deep. Some of you want to go deep and it's at the expense of going wide. Some of you think that the church was more effective when it met in a home. And some of you can't wait to outgrow this building. Some of you think that worship goes too long. Some of you think it's too short. Some of you think that the preaching's way, way too long. I've heard people come up to me after preaching for an hour and say, you could have gone for another hour, you know? It's like, well, not according to the 10 people who were asleep. (laughs) It's not the feedback I was getting from the front. So last week we talked about grace and truth that there's a tension that exists between grace and truth and that Jesus Christ was full of grace and full of truth. He never had grace at the expense of truth and he never had truth at the expense of grace. Full of grace, full of truth. And we communicated to you our desire as a church to live in that tension. We're going to live in that tension that exists between grace and truth. And we're not going to give the truth without having a hand on grace And we're not going to have a hand on grace without having a a hand on truth. We want to live in that tension. This sermon series was born out of a conversation that I had with Noel, actually. Noel? I'm going to rat Noel out. Noel was like, (laughs) 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 Sorry. Noel, Noel was just pressing me, saying, you know, what is radiant and... Um, can you define this for me? And I'm like, well, I'm having a hard time finding a definition or a position because what we have is a tension. In fact, my definition for our position would be that we would live in the tension. That's what I ended up with. So I started rattling off all these tensions. Well, we want to live in the tension of grace and truth. We never want to let go of the grace of God and hold with two hands to truth. We never want to let go of the truth and hold with two hands to a, you know, 
a loose, cheap grace. We don't want that. So I started talking about these, these tensions. And then I started realizing, together with others who were there, these are our positions. Our position together is to live in the tension. And sometimes that is difficult. And the temptation can be, when we live in a tension together as a body, would be to swing to one side. Because it often feels like we're in the middle of a paradox. How many of you have found, how many related to the sermon last week where I talked about where you don't know whether to be honest or be nice? Like, what is my Christian duty at this point? Grace? Hey, you know, things will, you know, like there's more fish in the sea or whatever cheap things you say when you're extending grace. You'll get them next time, you know, or you don't know whether to be nice or honest and say, look, something needs to change. And in fact, it's you. You need to change. I'm tired of this, you know, or whatever. How many of you have struggled in that tension? You've felt that tension. I don't know whether to extend grace or to come with the truth. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is somehow he came with all the grace and all the truth. And he never compromised one of those. And so there's tensions that we live in here as a church. And this is a tension here. More disciples or better disciples? Which one is it? Both and. We want to go wide wide and we want to go deep we want to be cohesive as a family and we want there to be room at the table we want to be inclusive we want to make more disciples and we want to make better disciples how i don't know i really don't but we're going to live in this tension together as a body We're not going to let go of making more disciples in order to make better disciples. And we're not going to let go of making better disciples in order to make more disciples. We are going to make more, better disciples here at this church. Both and. And that, yeah, that is our position. This is, what, this is the simple solution to this tension. We'll change the why. We'll change the why. So we don't do church gathered in order to make more disciples. And we don't do church um, gathered in order to make better disciples. That's not why we do what we do here. The solution to bringing these two together is to recognize that the why we do what we do here is for the glory of Jesus Christ. We gather to him. We gather around him. We gather for him. We don't gather to make more disciples. We don't gather to make better disciples. We gather to glorify Jesus Christ. And guess what? More disciples equals more glory. Better disciples equals more glory. We can live together. Tastes great and less filling. More glory. More glory to Jesus. We change the why. It's not about more and it's not about better. It's about Jesus. And I know that that's hard for us as consumers because we're here providing a service to you. And so we walk away from things like worship and go, man, I don't know. I just wasn't, I don't know. They had like Tom Petty come and lead worship or something, you know. I didn't really like it, you know. Well, that's fine. It wasn't for you. It wasn't for you. You're not the chief beneficiary of our worship. You're not it. This whole thing doesn't revolve around you. 
We're here to glorify Jesus, and it's hilarious. Well, I kind of like the sermon. It was pretty good, but it was pretty long, you know. <laughs> I kind of liked the worship. I especially liked this song, but I didn't like that song. You know, it's not for you. We're here to glorify Jesus Christ, and we can live together under that banner, even though we're more disciple and better disciple people. So I guess the thing that I wanted to say to you is that we're not really going to cater to the insider. And we're not going to cater to the outsider. We'll cater to the Lord, who has a heart for the outsider and the insider. And, you know, there'll be some days where what he's doing here with us is making better disciples. And there'll be other days where he's asking us to reach out and make more disciples. Is this a tension you experience, or am I just talking about my own experience here? Do you understand this tension between more and better? Do you understand the tension between quality and quantity? Because that's definitely a tension, too. So we're not going to cut that tension. We're going to live in that tension, believing that the best things, harmony, is born out of tension. We talked about that last week with a guitar string. There's something perfect, a note that comes from something being wound up just the right way. When it gets loose... It's muddled, muddy, it's not very distinct. When it gets too tight, it's annoying, it's harsh. But when you strike that right balance of tension, there's something beautiful that comes from it. So, so I, will, I will answer the question, how will we live in this tension? Sorry, this is just more sharing than it is a... I don't know if you figured that out yet. This is not a real sermon. <laughs> no, I just, I just felt like after, you know, we've taught through some books of the Bible and... I just, I felt like we needed to have a State of the Union address, and there's a hundred people here who weren't here last year and haven't heard any of this stuff. So if this is a reminder to you, um, you probably need to be reminded. And if this is new to you, we're so glad you're here, and we want to take time to explain who we are and, and what we're about. So the, re- the way that we'll stay together and really strive and this is getting difficult, I'll just be honest. We, we want to strive as a body to be cohesive and inclusive. It was obviously really easy to be cohesive inside a home. It's a little bit difficult as the church grows, but we want both those things together. And we want to stay in this tension. We want the deep, we want the wide. And so one of the ways that, some of the language that we've been using to help us with this tension is to say this, that as a church, we're not going to be seeker-sensitive, but we are going to be seeker-sensible. We're not going to be seeker-sensitive. We want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But we're also going to do our best to communicate in a way where we can be understood and to connect with people who are coming in who don't know about what's going on here. Why is, that guy, why is everyone singing about the blood? It's disgusting, you know? Oh, precious blood, you know, just like, this is weird. This is weird. And we want to help people understand why we sing the way we sing about the blood of Jesus. It's, it's weird. <laughs> it's just, just own it. Kind of a quirky family. So we won't be seeker-sensitive, but we will be seeker-sensible. We'll strive to bring people into what we're experiencing. And we'll reach out to people who, this might be new to them. If this is new to you, like, we're seriously so glad you're here. 
I, I pray about you, and I, I daydream about you sitting in a seat, you know? So, we're, we're, I know this is weird, you know, and uh, there's a lot of crying and stuff like that, but we're really glad you're here. I found this passage that I thought was pretty impressive because I think some of the pushback that you get as a seeker-sensitive or a seeker-sensible person is that you just don't care about what the Lord cares about. Well, I just focus on God. I don't focus on people. And I found this passage from Paul in 2 Corinthians that I thought was fascinating because he says, uh, I know what it is to fear the Lord. I try to persuade men. Listen to the combination of the two. I know what it is to fear the Lord. I try to persuade men. These things aren't exclusive. We can fear the Lord and also reach out. We can fear the Lord and be uh, aware of what he's doing and also aware of what's going on for someone next to us. So the other thing that I want to say or the language that we've found that has helped us communicate this truth to our church is that we will be a community on mission, not have, oh man, I got, this is all like kind of rhymey. What did I write? Not a mission of community, but a community on mission. So as a church, we are not a mission. <sighs> we don't have a mission of community. We are a community on mission. There we go. We don't have a mission of community. It is not the ultimate. Community is not our mission here. It's not the ultimate thing we can have together. It's a means to an end. And when you make community the end in itself, you ruin it. When you, when you stop seeing community as something... Um, as something that's not ultimate, and you make it the ultimate thing in your life, you crush it. We see community at this church as a means to an end. So we are a community of people on a mission. We don't have a mission of community. When you have a mission of community, when that's the ultimate thing, is making a community cohesive, together, good friends, best friends, we're best friends. When you've got that, there's a couple things that happen. And the first is that you'll be tempted to put community before your convictions. And real community, I believe, puts convictions before community. This is so like rhymy and sorry. Is this making sense or am I, is this like a Dr. Seuss sermon? (laughs) Confuse myself. You got it? Okay, I'll stop. Listen to this. Listen to this. This is Jesus um, who told us that they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. So here, here we have this clear call to be cohesive, to love one another. But it's to testify. It's to be a witness. It's to be seen. It's to be desired. It's the ultimate apologetic, says Francis Schaeffer, Let me read this quote to you. Our relationships with each other is the criterion that the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. 
Christian community is the final apologetic. They will know we are Christians by our love for one another. And they'll want a peace. It's meant to testify. It's meant to be a witness to our community. If you have a mission of community, you'll most likely be cohesive at the expense of being inclusive. Because you don't want people to mess up the good thing you got going. And you'll also probably have community at the expense of conviction, which I don't believe is real community. I think that's compromising. So the other thing that we've found as a church, the language that we've discovered that helps us live in this tension, is that we've stopped thinking of ourselves as fishermen. We've stopped thinking of ourselves as fishermen, and we've started to think about our church as a fishing net. And let me explain this, because I know it was Jesus who said, or called, for fishers of men. So I'm going to explain why I disagree with Jesus. It's nine pages. No, I, 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 we've just stopped thinking about ourselves as fishermen, and we've started to think about this community as a web of connected relationships that the Lord intends to fish with. We've started to think about this like we are a net together, a fishing net. So Jesus calls his disciples uh, and, and calls them to be fishers of men. And so that obviously that analogy or metaphor or illustration meant a lot to those men. They knew exactly what he was talking about when he said to them, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Follow me. And what do we think about when we think about fishing? What do you think about? My, my mind goes, that's, that's awesome. I go immediately to being alone. I, I think about solitude. I think about um, space. Like if I could just get some space. I think that's what people crave when they go fishing. They don't catch anything most of the time, but they just need some space. You think of solitude, you think of being alone, you think of a single rod with a single lure that you drag across the water in an appetizing way and when the fish takes the bait, you set the hook and you reel the fish in. This is what we think of when we think about fishing. And how many have ever heard someone make connections between that form of fishing and evangelism? That as we as fishers of men try to catch people, we've got to have the right bait. And then we've got to drag it in an appetizing way. In order for the fish to take the bait, then we set the hook and reel them in to the reality of what it's like to follow Jesus. You know? We baptize them. Yeah, you've heard this, you know? The problem, the problem with this is that... Uh, this would have made no sense to a first century fisherman. This is not what they were doing. When Jesus told his disciples that they would be fishers of men, they had a different picture that came to mind. One that had nets that required teamwork, that required throwing those nets. And they weren't looking for a single hungry fish. They were looking for that net to collide with a whole school of fish. And then they would haul the net in. This is what they thought about 
when they thought about fishing. And I really believe, because, actually, let me back up. The key to successful fishing in Jesus' day was not timing or technique. The key to successful fishing for anyone who fishes with a net is the strength of the net. The strength and the size of the net. That's the key to successful fishing. And that's what the first disciples understood. They understood that if their nets were nice and strong, nothing that they caught would escape. Nothing would slip through if their nets were nice and strong. And I'd like you to consider this church, your relationships, as a web of connected relationships. It's not that hard to picture. You could probably even see yourself holding your hand out and your foot out and connected in some gingerbread fashion with somebody else. I'd like you to start to think about this church as a web of connected relationships. The Lord is knitting us together. The Lord is strengthening our bonds with one another. But listen to me. It's not for the sake of fulfilling you. It's for the sake of fulfilling the Great Commission. He intends to cast this community. He wants it to collide with whole subcultures. And my desire for this church is when we collide with a school of fish, that they would get hung up. That something about who we are would stick. That something about the way we connect with one another would get them thinking. That when people see the group of moms that are connected at the park, they start to think to themselves, that's interesting. They share about what's really going on for them. Then they pray for one another. And they have a place where they can come and talk about what's going on with their kids. And what is that about? And they're stuck. They're kind of thinking about it. I don't necessarily have that. I expect in this community the businessmen to get connected. And when they collide with a school of fish, that school of fish should be going a little bit hung up. I've actually not seen something like this. I actually think that those that fish should get connected together. Because there's quite a few of you. I've had like three fishing conversations in the last week. I think you should go fish together. And I think <laughs> and I think people at the lake should be like, oh, that's interesting. They only had two cores lights. <laughs> I just lost Jerry for talking about alcohol. <laughs> Sorry, Jerry. No, but like, you know what? They, they, they talk about what's going on. They don't complain about their wives. They don't go fishing to complain about their wives. They go fishing and they pray for their wives. Huh. You know, it should, people should get caught up, hung up. The, the metaphor took on kind of a, a new dimension for me when I was thinking about the passage in Ephesians that says that the leadership of the church is called to equip the body. You've heard this, that God gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints 
for ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Well, that word equip means to repair, restore to a former good condition. And one of, the, one of the ways that it was used in Greek was to refer to the mending of nets. They would actually use the word equip when they were mending their nets. I'm going to restore these nets. I'm going to equip these nets. I'm going to put them back together so that they're effective. And so one of my jobs as a leader in this body is to equip this church, which means that I'm going to knit you together. We're going to work together to have strong bonds with one another so that everything we collide with, we're hauling in. So nothing escapes. So we're sticky as a community. Can I ask you a question? Who, who are you connected to? If, if this is in fact a web of connected relationships that God desires for us to collide with schools of fish. I watched it last night. We were at a Rosie Thomas show, and I bet 30 of the people there were from Radiant. God is knitting a group of people together to collide with a whole group, a whole subculture. The Lord is going to cast us where he wants us. Who are you connected with? I believe that we need peers beside us that we're connected with. I believe that we need people above us that we're looking to. I believe that we need people beneath us who are looking to us. And I don't mean beneath you because of their value. I mean that they're looking to you. Who's looking to you? How effective would that fishing net be? And this is what I find is that most people find it really comfortable to reach out to peers. How effective would that be if you threw that in the water? What are your odds? That's why as a church we need those that we're bringing up, that we're taking time for those that look up to us. I don't care where you're at, there's somebody looking to you. I don't care where you're at, you're influencing someone. Are you taking time for those people to bring them up? Are there mentors in your life that you're looking up to? Or are you just connected to those who are comfortable, who are easy to make time for? This is why it's so beautiful uh, that I look across and I see a sea of gray hair. No, it's just beautiful. If you're here and you've been walking with Jesus for 40 years, we're so glad that you're here. Because this is really ineffective. And if you're here... And you, and you just got saved. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, we so need you, actually, to remind us of what this is all about. We need connected relationships. And I, I want to echo my wife's cry, which is that if you have that longing, there's no better place to go than to that women's retreat. It is the best place to get connected to this church in a real way, real relationship. Last thing, and then we'll go. As a church, we've talked for a long time about circles, about going in circles for the last seven years. <laughs> but we've talked for a while about how there seem to be people here, everyone represents maybe our city, or everyone for that matter, 
And then there's a group of people beyond the everyone that are kind of interested, seeking, I guess you could say. And then one of our desires is to take those people that are interested and move them to a place of being really connected here at the church, maybe attending church. And then one of our desires is to take those people that are connected and move them to a place where they're committed. Some of you are loosely connected here. You don't have any deep relationships. If you left, we actually wouldn't even know you were gone. And our heart is that you would move from a place of being loosely connected or kind of affiliated with this church into a place of being committed here, which means that you have deep friendships with people that you're investing in. It means potentially that you're giving here uh, your time, your energy, your money. We want your money. We do. It's good for you. Jerry's back. We want your money, Jerry. Any church that's not saying that is lying. <laughs> we want your money. We feel like we're investing it in a really fantastic way. That this is a great place to give. Because Jesus has given us an incredible uh, mission together. So I'm not going to lie and pretend that we don't. It's good for you and it's good for the mission. And then our desire is to take those who are committed here, they're connected in a real way, and move them into their calling. Where you're actually serving here, walking out your calling in this church. Let me tell you why we think that you need to be committed before you walk out your calling. It's because walking that out is difficult, and you're going to have some people in your face. Let's thank James Olson for putting screens up on the windows. Walking out your, in walking out your calling, you need some connected relationships where people can, are open to give you feedback. At the end of this sermon, I have friends who will tell me, well, that was kind of off. I don't think, and if you don't have those committed relationships, you bail when things get difficult. And we know that in walking out your calling, it's a difficult thing. And you're going to need close friends in order to do it. Or else, you'll just quit. And so we want you, before you're walking out your calling here in this church, to be committed to have some really deep relationships with people who can tell you, that was a little weird. Or, or maybe you're the person who's a more disciple person, and you need those people around you who can tell you, hey, look, what about better disciples? What about God's heart for better disciples, you know? Or vice versa, you're a better disciple person, and you've got the people around you going like, what about God's heart for the lost? What about, what about what's going on outside of this church? So we need those relationships. So if you're here and you're just kind of interested, take a step into being connected. If you're here and you're connected, why don't you consider doing something more than floating around and getting committed here, giving yourself, investing in relationships. I know it's scary. I do. But church wasn't designed for you to be comfortable. Church was designed to change you. If you're here and you're committed, we are actively pursuing ways to where we can get you to walk in your calling. Because I'm starting to realize that the truth is, is that as a church, most of what we're doing is an attempt to get people from connected to committed. And we don't have a lot of plans for taking those that are committed and getting them into walking out their calling. So we're actively pursuing that. Last year, we knew that it was a year about reaching out and bringing those in who are connected and 
bringing them to a place where they're committed. This year we know, we know that the Lord is speaking to us about taking those that are committed here and moving them into walking out their calling in this body. So that's a weird way to end. Let's pray. Hey, actually, um, let's do this. If you're willing to join me on this mission of uh, more disciples, better disciples, um, or let's just put it this way, if you're interested in joining me on this journey of becoming a disciple and learning to obey all that he's commanded us, would you go ahead and stand with me? You don't have to stand. I, it's not one of those deals where you have to stand. Let's take it one step further and just join hands with the person next to you, even if they're a stranger. (laughs) Father, we're so thankful for this web. We're so thankful for these relationships represented here. We're so thankful that you've connected us. And now we ask as a church that you would use us. That we wouldn't just be cohesive, but that we'd be inclusive. That you would cast us, that you would put us where you want us. I pray for the connections in this body that they would be strengthened. I pray against the enemy's schemes to destroy connection here in this church. And I pray for your kingdom to come through this group of people. We submit ourselves to you. We want what you want. And we want to be a community on mission. So I pray that you'd speak to us and send us, connect us, strengthen the bonds that we already have. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time.